Hi, everybody. It's Jean Nathan. This is Crosstown Conversations with news about New Orleans that counts about our economy, our environment, our culture, and some occasional politics. Thank you for joining and enjoy the show. Crosstown Conversations community and our BOK listeners, uh, we have Mark Morial online. And um, this isn't our first pony ride with Mark. So on Sunday night, the Gumbo Coalition film that was an extraordinarily <laughs> authentic tracking of the work that Mark has done in association with the Latina equivalent of the urban league is that a good way to put it yeah they're good yeah very, very similar to us the film was was so authentic and so true to the situation you almost didn't know you were watching a film it took you so into what was going on i was really impressed with the uh, approach of um the the cinematographer I, and I learned so much. I mean, you think you know something because you you try try to track what's going on, and but I learned a lot. And then Will Sutton he interviewed you, and in that interview, you covered points with him that is at the heart of thinking that I've had for a long time: dismay with the dissolution of the Democratic Party in the state of Louisiana, horrified at the lack of leadership. And just kind of the desperate need for there to be a balance between the Democratic and, and Republican Party, as we all know, is so critical to the way democracy is supposed to work and not have a, a shooting gallery um, with uh, one party on one side and the other uh, on the other side. That's not how it should be. And so you had a number of quotes with him that were just remarkable that I, I highlighted in his column that headlines, Mark Morial wants new Democrats to fill state's leadership vacuum. And then you have comments like, no one challenged the gubernatorial race and its outcome. Where was the voice? Where were the people who we need to be vocal? You didn't see anybody challenge the the guy who won. Um, you You feel that people are not getting enough information to have a narrative that they can believe in and support and act on. So let me, first of all, Gene, thank you for having me. 
uh, and also thank WBOK for being a voice of the people and also just for the record, let everybody know that the remarks that I'm about to share, I'm sharing in my personal capacity only uh, because I do want to be able to talk about politics uh, from a, from an authentic, in an authentic way. Uh, I, you know, commented on the election uh, because you cannot win an election unless you offer an alternative vision. Uh, and the Democratic Party and the Democratic Coalition has always been centered around economic opportunity uh, and investment in infrastructure and investment in people. No one challenged Jeff Lane. No one, not none of his Republican opponents challenged him, nor did uh, the Democratic candidate. And the Democratic candidate was a great person, but someone who had never run for office before. And it's tough to run for governor if it's the first time you've run for office. Uh, and the exception to the rule is if someone is independently wealthy uh, and can pour a lot of resources into a campaign. Uh, and, and the Democratic Party in Louisiana has to do what the Democratic Party in Georgia uh, has done with Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock and others. Sean Alsop, they've been aggressive. They've offered an alternative vision and they've won several elections. And the state went, indeed, for uh, 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 Joe Biden. If you look at the recent gubernatorial race in Mississippi between Tate Reeves and, and Presley, Presley got 46% of the vote. If there had not been a third-party candidate, he may have done even a little bit better. Uh, but he offered, he ran on Medicaid. He ran on living wages. He ran on issues that resonate with the voters. And I don't think, uh, you know, you're going to be able to launch, to, to advance a critical opposition. Now is the time for those leaders in Louisiana, uh, Democrats and others, not to feel defeated, but to offer an alternative vision uh, and offer it with force, uh, gusto, passion, charisma, enthusiasm, uh, to convince the people that uh, the, the dogma of the Republican Party is not the way to go. I love Louisiana, but Louisiana's 49th or 50th virtually in every social and economic category in America. That's not sustainable. Uh, New Orleans and the New Orleans region, to some extent, Baton Rouge drive the entire reputation and economy of the state. Instead of attacking New Orleans and attacking Baton Rouge, the state should be investing in New Orleans and investing uh, in Baton Rouge. Uh, instead of trying to undercut the leadership of New Orleans, uh, the state should be investing. And I think that's going to be one of the key tests going forward is, is a Jeff Landry going to be a governor for his base or a governor for all? That is the test. Louisiana is one-third African-American uh, and, and has a substantial Democratic base of over 40% with the voters. It's not reflected because the legislature's historically been gerrymandered uh, to give uh, Republicans an advantage. Look at what happened in the congressional redistricting, uh, and, and they've been forced by the courts. And they're going to be forced by the courts uh, to change that. But that's my sense of it, right? It has to be, you know, Medicaid, healthcare, 
health disparities, investing in schools, uh, investing in good jobs, uh, you know, a true economic plan for the state, which is not just dependent on what the state's been doing for the last 50 years, but something different. Uh, even New Orleans, right? New Orleans, which I love and care for, needs its own economic plan for the future. How can it maximize the healthcare sector? How can it take advantage of the renewable energy and the technology revolution? How can it look at what the new chapter on hospitality, tourism, and the creative economy is all about? What's the next chapter? What's the next set of things we need to invest in? Uh, that is really what is on the table. And, and I think it's going to frame the next uh, next set of municipal elections. Uh, what I see in the municipal arena today in New Orleans is a lot of bickering, a lot of fighting, a lot of back and forth, but no coherent consensus. And, 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 that, and, and that, Mark, you have to admit, is a reflection in part of the standards and models being set in Washington. I, I watched this interaction um, with, with, the, with the policies and strategies and, and rhetoric coming out of Washington and, and then watch how it gets reflected locally. I mean, we all have our models that we follow and, that, and that's part of the problem. But I, I have to ask you this question because again, I don't wanna run out of time and not ask this because this has been on my mind now really since a couple elections ago when I looked around and I said, where are the leaders? Where are the guys and women who who really were there in, in elections that I've been involved with in the past or not involved in personally um, when we had folks like you, quite frankly, and, you know, um, I, uh, and and others who, who, who took on the job? And right now, where are they? What are they doing? Look, we carried the state for Bill Clinton twice. We carried the state uh, for Mary Landrieu uh, on two occasions, three occasions. Uh, we elected a number of people. Mitch Landrieu got elected statewide. Uh, others got elected statewide. Uh, and, and we had a coalition. And we had a passion uh, and a fight to get Democrats elected statewide uh, in Louisiana. <laughs> Today, Gene, it's going to be up to a new generation of elected leaders and people who aspire to be elected leaders to bring a new vision forward, both for the city and for the state. Uh, it's necessary. And so I think it's a great opportunity for someone that's got some ambition and some vision and some drive. And you have to fight and work and be energetic and vocal about your vision. Uh, and that doesn't mean you run around and spend all, all your time just attacking people. But what you do is you offer an alternative vision and you give a critique of the vision that you disagree with. And, and that's, critique you know, and, that's, and alternative solutions. And I couldn't agree with you more. And, and, and it's very clear from the past decade or so that it ultimately change evolves from the community, not around the community, but from the community. And I think that we're looking at um, these young people, I'm worried about their motivation. They didn't turn out to vote in, in the expected and hoped for numbers in this last election in Louisiana. 
Um, and, and why would they? they? You have to be turned off to such an extent by all of the something to vote for. You can't just say, just because I'm a Democrat, just because I'm an African American, just because I'm a woman, just because I'm a moderate Democrat. You have to give people something to vote for. The electorate is intelligent. They're thoughtful. They're careful. They pay attention. And you have to create a vision. I mean, in, in the, you know, you know, the times I ran, uh, that is what I was doing. I was selling a vision. I was selling ideas. I was selling police reform, housing reform, youth uh, programmatic reform. I was I was selling inclusionary economics. I mean, you work for me, Gene. We brought the notion of the city having a strategy around the creative economy to City Hall with the Mayor's Office of Tourism, Arts and Entertainment, the Film Commission, the Music Commission. Proud uh, to say they all still exist. And, and they still exist, but they need energy and force and they need to be refreshed. You know, you have to refresh your thinking uh, every decade or so. What are the big projects? How do you enhance? When it comes to hospitality and tourism, New Orleans is a great attraction, but we're in a competitive environment. They just built a new music museum in Nashville. Uh, there are cultural investments being made in Atlanta and Charleston and Houston and many, many other communities. How can you refresh? That's where people come to New Orleans for. The food, the culture, the diversity, the music. That's what make New, makes New Orleans uh, 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 interesting. We, we did a study of what's going on uh, regionally, nationally, and internationally of what I we sometimes call best practices. How are other people trying to promote the creative economy? And um, we found uh, over 150 programs that were spending millions in investing in this economic sector, which is one of the sectors of the future that is really going to be important to the growth. And, and we should be at the top of that list, having literally changed the culture of the world out of New Orleans from the beginning of the past all the way through now. My administration brought the Essence Festival to town, the Satchmo Festival. Uh, my administration really gave real momentum and birth to the film and video production industry with the work we did by going to the Oscars in 1995 and really promoting the city as a destination by lobbying the legislature for the film tax credits uh, programs. Uh, you know, my administration built the Trey May Villa, the D-Day Museum, the Southern Museum of the uh, Ogden Museum of the Arts. They were all done on our watch. We were investing in uh, cultural assets. Uh, my administration renamed the airport after Louis Armstrong to elevate uh, his image as uh, the most prominent and best-known New Orleanian uh, of all time. Uh, my administration brought arts into the recreation department. Uh, this Louis Armstrong uh, jazz came. You need leadership that's going to be creative. Create new things. Create new initiatives. Refresh old initiatives. That's what's needed uh, in the Here, city. Here's healthcare. something else. How can you accelerate healthcare, make New Orleans a center of biomedical research. I mean, all of these things are the work that the mayor, the business community, the regional elected officials, uh, 
and the not-for-profits and the community organizations as well. Yes. But here's something that I here's a point that I want to make that I, I I suspect you will share my opinion on this. I think one of the messages that we're failing to communicate is that if you invest in people's conditions, their education, their health care, um, their housing, all the fundamentals of life, you are not spending money on the other guy. You are spending money that is going to save money for everybody by making sure that everybody is a part of the economy. I think one of the things that is a mis a misguided impression is that if you if you help people who need help, you're just giving that money away to people who maybe should, in their minds, have been doing more for their lives. The truth is, if you don't do that, it costs more. I agree with you 100%. And sometimes there's a lot of backward thinking, uh, you know, a lot of the not understanding that people make things happen and investing in people. And New Orleans has such an incredible uh, array of a culturally focused nonprofit community based organizations. I mean, it, it's remarkable, right? And that's where so much of the human energy, so much of the initiative, the innovation, and the new ideas come. I fed those groups. I gave the city money. We were very focused on energizing grassroots organizations, whether it's in housing, whether it's in the arts, whether it's in youth services. I mean, we were we were focused on understanding that there's limitations to what government can do. And in some instances, government has to play a role as a catalyst and an initiator and an accelerator can't do everything itself. I think that um, you, I think it was you who said at one point uh, to um, Will Sutton, and uh, I, I think this is also another point that we are at a critical moment when there's the opportunity for that to happen. There is a kind of generational shift happening right now right. as we speak. You know, I, I, I talk to my, um, the friends of my own generation all the time, but I, I really work hard to stay in touch with and, and build my relationships with the younger people. And I do feel that the younger generations are dismayed with what has been going on. Some of them may have walked away and may walk away temporarily, but I think they can be brought back. But I have to tell you, when I was a, uh, um, the equivalent of a Gen Z person back in my day in the 60s. Um, John Kennedy said those words that none of us will ever forget. Ask not what you what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And I think and hope that there will be a rallying cry similar to that that will come, if not from some of the leaders who are just not as motivated right now, maybe they're just getting old. I don't know. I, I don't feel like I'm getting old, but maybe that's part of it. But hopefully um, there will be a kind of um, shifting of energy and there will be a, a rousing of, of folks to to really achieve. Well, and the Black Lives I'm Matter movement and the Me Too movement are ex examples of that. Look, young people have transformed the organization I lead now. The national urban league through the creation of our young professionals auxiliary which was created 20 24 years ago right before i joined 
but what I I poured into it, placed the emphasis on it. Now we have 10,000, 10,000 plus, and it's been transformative for us to give young people visibility and vision. That's that. I, I'm sorry that I didn't know more about that, and I'm gonna uh, follow and, up. And it's on. been one of the reasons why we, uniquely amongst a lot of civil rights organizations, have a lot of young people involved in our work because we've we've we built a mechanism for them to get involved. I just came from an event here in Wilmington. Uh, and and uh, the CEO there is, wow, she may be 30 years old. And there were a couple of other younger CEOs. They, they, you know, these my, my local leaders are in their late 20s, early, early to mid 30s. You know, it's been exciting to see this transformation. Very same thing in New Orleans. It's time for the next generation to step up. You know, when I ran, I was in my mid 30s. The city council that got elected, at the same time I got elected, the majority of its members were under 40. We had a bit of a youth revolution in 1994, and it was exciting. It was a new New Orleans. It really was. Yes, it was. We really did. It, it, so it really was. And I think there's a new New Orleans on the cusp now, but we really yes. have to be so intentional about making it happen because if you're not, it it, it just doesn't. It, the only way you get anything done is by being incredibly intentional. Mark, I'm going to have to run. I, got, yeah, I, 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 I was I just about to say thank you so we much do it for again. the and time. And we will. And, and give my best to Bob. And, uh, I will. And uh, appreciate you for all you do and all your friendship over the years. Vice versa, of course. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye.
Jean Nathan and his Crosstown Conversations. And we are at the crossroads of the city in a neighborhood recently determined to be one of the best neighborhoods in the whole world, mid-city. And the, the restaurant is Laiuza's, and we are here with the new owner, Lola Peron, who has been working there for over 40 years. 40 and years in January. There you go. They have been able to both keep the tradition of it going and, um, Aaron, uh, through your um, uh, commitment to it, brought some uh, fresh ideas as well. So, first of all, Aaron, tell me how you landed uh, at Laiuza's. I mean, the way I did, or just your, your first restaurant you walked into in New Orleans? I don't know. Uh, well, I had visited New Orleans many times over those 17 years. I guess about 17, 18 years was the first time I, I, I came here. My business partners own a bar in the quarter, and so I had helped them open it, and I was familiar with New Orleans. And also owned a restaurant in Miami, so I, I've been in this industry forever. So uh, I stepped out of it for a little bit and moved into sales, and uh, my business partners knew that I always wanted to get back into owning uh, a part of a restaurant. And they always had their feelers out, and they came across Laiuses and saw the property, the space, and met the previous owners, and I think it was all just a great fit. Um, they approached me. I came down. I saw the place. It was immediate love. I walked in the doors and I was like, this just feels like home. Met the previous owners, Miss Lori and uh, little Frank, her stepson. And we all just immediately clicked. And she did mention that, you know, she felt that we were the right people. She had other offers, of course, but she um, felt that we were going to be the right people to, to keep the legacy going, which was absolutely our intent um, from the get-go. Um, you know, well, you have to fun. be some. You have to be some kind of serious glutton for punishment to <laughs> run a restaurant. As far as <laughs> I'm concerned, I was a waitress in high school uh, at, at Schraff's, which is a big um, uh, chain restaurant chain in New York, and and uh, Irish owned, and uh, with a lot of people um, who were Irish. And I, I I always bragged that I learned how to do the jig, <laughs> and I could do it as good as any <laughs> Irish person. Um, at that restaurant, but um, it's it's grueling work. I mean, no matter what station you're you're at, whether you're waiting on tables or you are um, a, a porter, you know, helping to clean up, or you're running the whole place. I mean, it is it is seriously hard work. How many hours a day do both of you put in at the restaurant? Oh wow! I probably I, I usually come in at eleven and I work to about nine or. 10 depending on business if it's slow i cut out early but during busy season i'm from 11 to close so probably 14 hours 13 hours a day yep easy for sure yeah. <laughs> that's that's a challenge yeah yeah but that's i'm a used challenge. to it <laughs> she's been doing I'm used to it. you're I in the groove and and um and and what about you aaron you work how many hours um, 24. About the same problem. <laughs> uh, no, well, we're, you know, on the floor, I'm here, uh, a full shift could be eight, nine, 10 hours. And, you know, and the things that you have to get done on that uh, off days, so to speak. But it is, it's a 24-7 commitment. And I know it, and my business partners know it. And we, we're, you know, that's what we love to do. Mm. Gluttons, like you said. <laughs> what is Creole Italian food? Okay, so my understanding of a Creole Italian is, uh, as 
many people know with the Sicilian immigration that happened in the 40s, um, you know, or with any immigration to a different country, you have to work with what uh, spices and things are available to you. So I guess when the um, Sicilians moved here with their Italian style sauces, they only had, were able to um, purchase more of a Creole spice. And so they just integrated that into their recipes from back home. And there is the Creole Italian. This whole so, new, this whole new um, treat for uh, <laughs> The, the, the uh, all the folks in New Orleans, both residents and, and visitors who just absolutely are crazy about our food, right? So um, what is your favorite dish, um, Lola? Here at Baeza? I know that's unfair, but. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite dish, probably um, a good shrimp ramelade salad is one of my favorite dishes or really good oyster po' boy. That's what I really like. Those two. Uh -oh. I forgot that I was going to get real hungry while we're talking. Erin, <laughs> <laughs> how about you? Well, I have a couple different ones here, personally. Um, our chicken parmesan is amazing uh, with the red gravy, which, of course, uh, you know, I'm getting used to saying <laughs> red <laughs> gravy. But uh, and we uh, when we took over, we started making pizzas. Now, our pizzas are something to talk about. Um, Everyone has to come and try it. I promise. I know I'm a pizza snob and there's many pizza snobs out there and that's okay, but I <laughs> promise you won't be disappointed. So uh, that's another great thing. And then what they've had here for years is our eggplant Napoleon. So our eggplant Napoleon is fried eggplant with fried shrimp with a shrimp and artichoke cream sauce over pasta and uh, with some pesto. Miss Lola can describe it way better than I can because <laughs> she's been doing it for 40 years, but uh, that's another great great dish here that we have that's unique to uh Laisa's. well i've never had a bad dish that's for sure at, at <laughs> and i live uh, uh on esplanade so not not that far from you and so um you know we we go there a fair amount of that is definitely one of our favorites and not just for the onion rings although the minute i sit down what was the first thing i said lola onion rings yeah i wanted some onion rings <laughs> Have <laughs> to have those onion rings. Um, probably, uh, Lola, are full of stories and history and and thoughts about um, what working at Laiuzas has been about. I I'd love for you to share a sense of it. You don't have to, you know, get highly specific, but I'm just curious. You know, you've been there for so long. You've chosen to be there. You could have gone someplace else. There's a lot of restaurants in New Orleans. So yeah. what put you there? Uh, well, my friend used to work here years ago. And she told me about it. So um, I used to work at Tavern on the Park. So I left Tavern on the Park. And then I came to work here, which I absolutely love. From, from day one, you know, it's always been a family restaurant. I've always gotten along with the family. So, you know, it was just packed in here all the time uh you know and the customers i mean there are customers that are still coming here and i've been here a long time i was young when i started and i'm still waiting on customers that have been coming here for 40 years i mean we're getting old together i've seen their uh you know i think i told you i saw when they were dating when they got engaged when they got married when they had their first baby when the baby grew up 
the baby got married, the baby had a baby, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. So I thought, you know, I made that, that circle. A circle. And, yeah. yeah. And then now they come in with their kids. So it's always been a family restaurant to me, but I love the customers because we've grown old together. You know, uh, not only that, it's just, it's a good place to work, you know, and I love the new owners. They're very friendly. You know, they didn't, I thought when, you know, they were, you know, when they took over the place, you never know what new owners, if you're going to have to look for another job. And uh, I was kind of fearful of that, but they kept the old people, which I'm very thankful and grateful for because I was not ready to leave because I remember when they tell me they were going I'm sorry? Because you were not ready to leave. Oh, no, 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 I wasn't. When they told me, when the old owners told me that they were going to sell the place, I was trying not to cry, but I broke down so bad. I was like, why did she have to tell me this at the beginning of my shift? Because I couldn't stop crying because I didn't want to tell anybody here goodbye because I've been working with these people for a long time. Like, ow, you know, it's, I was like not ready. And I don't want to go anywhere, you know, because my life has been spent in this place. You know, I've grew up here. I've learned to love my customers, love the people that I work for, you know, and I don't want to go. The only way I'm going to go is if the good Lord says it's time to go, Lola, or I get canned. Either way, <laughs> that's the only way I'm getting out of here. <laughs> All right. So um, tell me something about the customers, because I, I I suspect from the times that I've been there all these years, it's a real mix. I mean, oh, it yeah. is not just uptown. It's not just downtown. It's not just mid-city. It's, it's everybody. Not, yeah. Listen, during Carnival, Jazz Fest, when these people come in from out of town uh, for the Sugar Bowl, every year I hear the same thing. Oh, you're still here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> people from out of town oh she's been you know she's been here forever you know holla out draw one Lola they like to hear you say draw one give me two frozens you know when we call our drinks draw out. one is a cold cold beer right yes yeah, yeah. yeah so all the locals know that you know and a lot of the people that come in from out of town they love all that they're like you know they kind of make me laugh because they'll tell them Oh, just just wait till she calls these drinks out, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. So so I call them out, you know. But uh, you know, there's so many people from all over the world that come. Like I said, doing Mardi Gras, Jazz Fest, whatever, uh, Sugar Bowl, and I constantly hear the same thing. Or I hear people say, oh, she was on Treme or whatever. You know, people just remember and they love this place and every time they come down they always tell me the same thing we always come here for carnival and i'm like i know because i recognize y'all i recognize <laughs> them yeah because they're distinct in their own way you know yeah. like there's a guy that comes in i just call him tex because he always comes in and he's got this big white cowboy hat and he's got his little texas belt on and i'm like oh there's tex <laughs> he always he's always down here for jazz fest but the people are unique and they're fun. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I'm curious about uh, what what they again. What's it, if is there a difference between what people from elsewhere are inclined to order and what people from New Orleans are inclined to order? That's kind of a picky little question, but I'm just curious. You know, 
um, what is there a trend? Is there a distinction between <laughs> what? I um, think so. I mean, like a lot of the locals will come in and they'll, you know, they'll get like the French alada, shrimp oyster po' boy. And French alada is a big, long. Oh, so glad you mentioned that because I don't want to forget to talk about your event coming up this weekend. Let's not forget. And I usually try <laughs> to make sure that at the beginning of the interview, just so I don't forget that we mentioned it. So, Aaron, why don't you spell out the details on um, uh, not just the French Alada, but everything else that's going to be um, served and, and the music that will be played at the celebration that's coming up this weekend. Yeah, great. So it's this Saturday, uh, uh, November 11th, from 5 to 8, we're having an anniversary party. So we're celebrating celebrating 76 years of La Uses being in business, and you know, including our first year as new ownership. So we put together a fun uh, few hours for everyone. Uh, we're going to have entertainment from 5.30 to 6.30. Uh, it's a local person. His name is Jacques. Uh, he owns a piano on the truck, or a piano on a truck is the exact Thing to look for on Facebook and he's got a beautiful piano in the back of his old time truck and he's going to be pulling up and having some great live music mm -hmm. fun New Orleans style of music um from five to six we're going to have some food and drink specials and one of our food specials is going to be a 19 foot 47 inch French alada that's almost honoring, as long as my house I think yeah, <laughs> honoring the year that La Uses was opened in 1947 so uh, again, a French alada is our version of the mufalada, which um, uh, Miss Teresa created. Is that correct? Yeah, the family the family trademark. Fire. Yeah, trademark. And so that is a mufalada on French. Okay, so uh, I'm. I was curious to know um, how uh, how um, you are able to maintain. Um, a high level of service because that's another characteristic of this restaurant that, you know, again, uh, partially cut what Lola's saying is that her customers are family, are friends. And, um, but the thing that's so amazing uh, that you told me uh, uh, over the weekend when I passed through having um, an Italian breakfast, <laughs> I mean, sort of a <laughs> mis uh, misnomer, but um, uh that there's in fact um, a national recognition of Mid-City. And I just still can't believe it. Tell me about that. So uh, the Daily Mail put out an article about, I think it's almost two weeks now. Uh, they put out an article, the top 40 coolest neighborhoods to live in the world. And uh, someone else actually sent it to me, brought it to my attention. And Mid-City is number seven. In the top wow. 10, the coolest place. Seven out of 50? Four, actually, high. seven out of 40. It was the top 40. Out of 40, right. Of the world. Holy so moly. Uh, I think everybody should be very proud of that and, and share that because... Indeed. You know, uh, it is a great neighborhood. It's a wonderful neighborhood. Well, I, I think one of the things about Mid-City that I find interesting, and, and tell me I'm wrong about this, but um, it's an old neighborhood. There's people, again, who not only like your customers who come you know year after year, but who have lived there forever. But there's also been a new emigration into Mid-City of the young folks who kind of came here during Katrina to help, wound up not being able to leave, as we know that happens a lot. And um, they uh, settled to some extent first in the um, Bywater neighborhood. 
Um, but then as they started building their family, they moved into a more family-like neighborhood because Bywater is really kind of a singles, you know, celebratory party place. Um, <laughs> nothing wrong with that. But um, I think they wanted a more family-like setting. So they come to Mid-City. But now, say that again, number one? Seven in the world of the coolest neighborhood. How did they, how did they, how did they, describe that how, how did they justify that designation well uh you know i i read the article i don't know ex i don't know exactly what determined this if it would if it's public transportation or you know the beautiful city park or you know all the neighborhood park, restaurants or... that are, are, are walkable um it, all i think that all of those things combined make you know they took into consideration and when they when they were you know ranking each city so um yeah again it's just something very very, very proud to be part of, I think, you know. It's, it's so um, one of the things that I've always loved about the restaurant is as you first walk in, you're in kind of the bar area and it's classic, classic old time, you know, bar uh, kind of mm -hmm. setting. Um, and then you go into the restaurant with all the tables and chairs. And that again is kind of really a, a classic um, home style, as you've been saying. Um, but then you have these little um, quirky things like, I forget what you call them, but uh, the, the glass bowls that you, you do your um, uh, beer in, which I, I bought a whole slew of those and I use them <laughs> to serve ice cream to people because I thought they would sort of work for that too. But You had um, your ice cream in that? Oh, didn't we ever? Oh, yeah, yeah. That was more ice cream than I've ever eaten in a restaurant, <laughs> ever, ever. <laughs> and vanilla and a big frosty mug i brought that to y'all oh yeah, i goodness. brought an extra spoon you said you wasn't going to eat any but you did. <laughs> yes, I did i probably ate half of it i'm not I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain i did well tell me um we, we've talked about the past uh i don't want to um end without talking about the future is there anything i need to know about um how y'all are thinking about the uh future of the restaurant well Ms. you know Clark? yeah we're so we aren't planning on changing much more, uh, but some fresh additions, you know, we're, we're keeping the recipes are the same uh, that you know and remember, you know, like the onion rings or hand cut, hand battered, the same that they were many, many years ago. Um, we did add, like we said, some pizza, we added wings and we'll be adding some things and seeing how they stick. And then just moving forward, the future is bright. We have the outdoor area in the backyard that we're going to be creating a nice outdoor seating area with a bar and TVs. Um, and just looking forward to keeping this, this legend, this, this mm -hmm. iconic place going for, for many years so that the, the younger people that are coming in today will be old with us and, and saying, yeah, you know, I came here yeah. when I was young and we'll be, you know, right. taking care of their All kids. Of the yeah. Yeah. So um, I think also, uh, you know, one of the few good things that came out of the pandemic was outdoor eating and we all love it. And uh, it was difficult to do in the past because of regulations and those regulations have been um, have morphed to uh, make it more feasible and, and to let us all enjoy the weather, especially in New Orleans, you know, from right now until June, it's paradise. Yes. And, uh, somebody once told me there's only one, um, what did he say? He said, there's only one uh, month of winter here and that's January. So you get a little bit of the cold weather in January. That's about it. And other yeah. than that, 
you're you're really enjoying kind of mild to cool. Every once in a while, we get one of those frosts. I'll never forget one that we had in our yard that killed a couple um, trees that we had. But um, generally speaking, this is this is paradise from now through um, June, pretty much. So um, I know that that's another reason why uh, Mid City is probably up there in the rankings. Um, I'm going to uh, ask you to find that list for me and send it to me. I'm going to include it in my newsletter, Erin. Um, if you can put your hands on it somehow, and uh, oh yeah, I think forty. Yeah. Yep. I get it. I, 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 you know, your story is, is clear as a bell, but um, is there anything that you guys want to add that I didn't ask you about? No, I mean, I just maybe take this moment just to thank everyone who has been coming to La Uses in the past and still coming and, you know, embracing the new ownership as they have. And we really do appreciate it. And, you know, our, our, our staff, old and new, you know, they're the ones that are keeping it going for us, uh, with us, for us. And I just really want to thank everyone. I, hard, to, hard to call uh, Lola old when she looks about 25. But, no, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but I'm still moving. I'm like, there, you go. there you go. Right. <laughs> and um, I uh, look forward to seeing you all really soon. Um, uh, and, and checking out the new things. And, and I know you're going to get me my Negroni, right? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> well, next time for sure. <laughs> so, all right. Well, y'all have a, a blast on, on Saturday, is it? It is Saturday, 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 Saturday November 11th from 5 to 8. 5 to 8 on Saturday. Yeah, uh, it's going to be a blast. I'll try by. to get uh, Hopefully you could stop by as well. <laughs> I'm going to try to. I really am. And uh, I, 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 um, I'm not, a, uh, I used to be a real party girl and run out, run the streets and I can't quite do that anymore. So, <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm happy in my home, so I can't complain, but yeah, not uh, out as much. Thank you so much, Aaron Clark and Lola Perone, and uh, our hats off to Al, your chef, who couldn't be part of the conversation. And you have such a long list of thank yous for your staff. I'm going to publish them in my newsletter, so we'll get their names all out there. Thank and you. Um, yeah, the newsletter comes out Friday morning around seven o'clock in the morning online. And so um, I hope you'll enjoy uh, reading about yourselves. All right. <laughs> thank you for taking the time, Jean. Thank you so much. And listening. And don't forget the show airs actually on Friday at noon. On WPOK, 12.30 a.m. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Have a blessed day. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Thank you All very right. much. Enjoy. Thank All you. right.